World Football Index. We now have our full complement of teams qualified for the Libertadores group stage after a dramatic final round of qualifiers that saw an epic Paraguayan comeback, a Brazilian side getting knocked out, but not the one you expected, and a peach from the Uruguayan Wayne Rooney. And I'm yes, I'm going to stick with that uh, term for um everyone's favourite, Rodrigo Amaral. Um, but we'll, and we'll also have a look over the Sudamericana results and the upcoming World Cup qualifiers too. So I'm your host, Tom Robinson, and we have a bumper cast joining me today. Firstly is Ralph Hanna, how, um, who has hopefully recovered from Wednesday's night's uh, actions. How are you, Ralph? Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, I'm recovered and so are Olympia, who were brought down to earth last night in the local league. <laughs> and uh, we've also got Mike Rice joining us. How's everything over in Peru there, Mike? Uh, nerves building for the big internationals? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, nerves and nerves and excitement for Thursday's game with Uruguay. So, uh, yeah, getting the action's all getting a little close, so very excited. And last but by no means least, rounding off today's group is Lewis Smith. How are you, mate? Yeah, all well, thanks. Uh, soaked up on football over the weekend, so yeah, ready to, ready, to, happy to be uh, amongst a gang. Yeah, big, a big footballing weekend. Obviously, the Clasico rounds in Argentina there, and uh, plenty of big games all over the world. But let's jump straight into things by coming back to you after discuss that Olympia Fluminense clash to set the scene. Fluminense had won the first leg three one. Luis Enrique and Herman uh, Cano on fine form but that horrendous error from Fabio gave Olympia a bit of a lifeline and, and that's uh, that's come back to haunt them a little bit hasn't it Ruff? Yeah that's right I mean Olympia really suffered in that first game against Fluminense um, Luis Enrique you mentioned was was just tormenting Ivan Torres the, the left back for Olympia but he was pretty much at fault or, or involved in being at fault for all three of those goals and to the, to the extent that he got suspended for the second leg. So you looked at this Olympia team and you thought, wow, they've got a 21-year-old left-back, Mateo Gamaro, who's going to have to fill, fill in. But also, Olympia's whole game plan in the Libertadores and to some extent in the local league and the big games under Julio Cesar Cáceres has been to play without the ball and on the counter-attack. But being two goals down, of course, they had to take the game to Fluminense. So it we really, I think everybody assumed they were they were going to struggle in this role of having to to find goals um, and even keep a clean sheet, something they've only done pretty much against uh, Cesar Vallejo in the very first round, and then, funnily enough, in the in the Clásico against Cerro. But even in the local league, they've been conceding lots of goals, so it just seemed like a, an impossible task for Olympia going into it, but. They have this this garra, this mystica, and they manage to to claw it back uh, and and take the game to penalties. Yeah, and it was I thought it was a really nice team goal initially from uh, well Ricalde putting the the finishing touch on that opener, and and there was some there was some good football, and I thought they were well worth their their victory here. I mean, obviously they still had to take it to to penalties, and and Olveda, who was the hero, not just from the the shootout with some fine saves, but um, some good saves during the the game when when Flu went on the counter there. But I, I thought they were pretty well worth it and I'd be interested to know from you as well what what your thoughts are on Julio Casares as, as a coach is is this a Olympia side that um is is looking up that it can make a dent in this competition um or is is, is this are they just riding their luck a bit here 
No, I think what we've seen from Julio Cesar Cáceres is he's managed to do something which previous coaches, even Gorosito, who, who won the league with Olympia, they, they couldn't quite figure out the midfield, they, they, especially with Richard Ortiz in there. Richard Ortiz is now um, getting on a bit. He's suffered lots of injuries in his career, so he doesn't really have the legs. And finding someone that can play with him has been has been very difficult because they still want him in there because of the experience, because he's so good at, at breaking up play. Um, having Ortiz there in, in a game against Felipe Melo was, was what, kind of what Olympia needed in terms of experience, gamesmanship. Uh, so what they've what he's managed to do is balance it with Marcos Gomez, this this guy who who Casares must have managed in the reserves when before he took the main job. And Marcos Gomez has come in and really uh, fit in, slot in very well to that midfield. But then also he's playing with Alejandro Silva and Fernando Cardoso, who aren't really typical wingers. They they very much like to come inside, occupy occupy space, more creative spaces. Um, and they can they can play those kind of through balls that you would want from maybe a, an attacking midfielder a, a ten, and that's worked really well as he's as he's built that team. Because then what he does with with people like Ricalde and Delis Gonzalez is they can actually go and occupy the wide spaces that Cardoso and Alejandro might have uh, vacated when they're when they're coming inside to try and to try and build play up. So he's got a really nice team working there. And what he does as well is is, is very simple and, and effective. He's not trying to he's not trying to impose some kind of really detailed tactical system. It, it's it's often just quite direct football. But very efficient, and and it's proving to to really work. And I think the fact that this victory against Fluminense came after just a few days after winning the Clásico against Cerro, against a really good tactician in in Francisco Chiquiase, that that kind of suggested that Casares is he's not just getting lucky here. He's he's really building something quite interesting on on no budget, of course, because Olympia are sanctioned by FIFA at the moment, so they're unable to to sign any players. Yeah, well, I think they're definitely going to be a side that not many people are looking forward to to facing in in the group stage. And and from a Brazilian perspective, Lewis, I mean, I know that we saw some violent scenes after the game where some of the Fluminense hardcore confronted and, and threatened some of the players there. I mean, what what's the reaction been like back in Brazil, and um, is this being seen as a bit of a um, yeah, bit, bit of a bit of a shock? Yeah, it's been a massive shock. I mean, in Brazil, they expected the the teams in the competition to to go far. I mean, only maybe America, the only side who wasn't expected to go far. Um, but Fluminense, they were they were good last year in the competition, but no, the 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 fact that they've been knocked out at this stage is a massive shock, and most of that relies on Abel Braga, the manager. I mean, his game plan from the start was a bit in question uh, in the second leg. You three one up, try keep the ball, don't don't play into Olympia's hands, which they did by playing five at the back for starts and just dropping deep. Uh, Olympia grew confident in the game as it went on. I just thought if Olympia get a goal here, then we could be in for a shock, and that's exactly what happened. And yeah, they was just they struggled <laughs> to to get any kind of like hold of the ball in the game. They they just they, they lacked going forward, and that's what happens when they pick a back five and they lose numbers in midfield. Maybe maybe with four at the back, three in midfield, they might have had a better chance trying to control the game um, away from home in a hostile environment, but. That's not what happened. I mean, I've speak. I spoke to uh, Brazilian fans, um, and he was 
echoing about Abel Braga saying he's, he's not the right coach for Fluminense, which is not good only a couple of months into his tenure. But, I mean, in Brazilian football, they sack managers left, right and centre. So, I mean, he's already put himself under massive pressure. I mean, in the state championship, they've been doing, they've been doing fine. They came top of the, the Rio State group. So the, the performances have been there in that competition, but automatically losing in the biggest game of the season already has is, is not gone down well uh, with the flu fans. Yeah, and I, th- I think as well, there's there's something that we that we have to mention, and and definitely filing this under things you you love to see is is a Felipe Melo missed penalty as well. So, um, I think that was. Uh, I mean, it's a shame that we're not going to have his shithousery for the for the rest of the uh, tournament. But um, and I think there was a moment to- fairly towards the end of the game where he came in pretty hard hard on someone. Was a bit lucky, maybe not to have um, seen a, seen a. Well, a worse card um but um yeah that's very uh very big drama happening early doors mike did you see much of this game at all yeah bits as i mean lewis and ralph might be able to um go into a bit more detail on it but i thought um olympia their wide play was fantastic as well like lewis saying that um fluminense were backing off and sitting very deep but at no point did it look like Olympia were ever just throwing the ball in the box and hoping for the best. The, the delivery was great from a wide area and it seemed to really put Fluminense under a lot of pressure. I don't know if that's something that um, Fluminense are partic- is a weakness for them in their league. I don't watch enough of them to know, but um, Olympia looked very good going to the second round and having that second leg, sorry, and having that home crowd behind them with the away goal and, uh, really, really did help, really did help them out. Yeah, I think I think that's what Julio Cesar Cáceres had noted from the first half. So what his first change um, early into the second half is he brings on Guillermo Paiva, who's their really one kind of big striker. Well, they have Walter Gonzalez as well, who ended up coming on at the very end. But Paiva's been this super sub they've been using to come in and, and really like put himself about in the box. He's a bit of an aggressive player quite physical and he brought him on for Alejandro Silva which was quite interesting so at that point it was to make sure they have more of a presence in the box because I think he might have noted some of that that weakness during the first half. Yeah certainly it looked it looked that way and 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 all contributed to a great victory for Olympia there and, and really got this Libertadores off to a off to a flying start, really, and uh, and getting everyone psyched and, and pumped for the group stage now. So moving on to another game that that also went to penalties, but this time with the the Brazilian side prevailing. Um, America Mineiro surprised everyone by edging out Barcelona after two fairly dull <laughs> nil draws. Um, but um, out of the two Brazilian sides in this round, I, I'm sure I wasn't alone in thinking that America would be the one that went out. You know, away at last year's semi-finalist, but um, perhaps this is yet another sign that maybe we shouldn't underestimate America uh, just yet. Um, it, Lewis, what what are your thoughts on on America? They, to be honest, they didn't really impress me that much. No, I mean the fact that they're even in the competition to start with is a miracle. I mean, they they sneaked in, I think, on the last day, which which was crazy. I mean, they lost the, the Libertadores qualification in Brazil last year was just mental i mean some some clubs are fighting relegation but also one win could take them within contention for the libertadores places um that's how crazy it got um but uh, america did lose the manager halfway through the season who ended up going to gremio and they replaced him with uh Marquino santos who's there now and he he turned the form kept it going and managed to qualify on the final day 
um, and that set up that uh, exciting tie with Guarani last time out. Which, to be fair to America, in the first in the first leg they they dominated, but they were just they just couldn't uh, find the cutting edge um, in front of goal, and then they managed somehow in the second leg to pull through after going two 0 down, which was just crazy in general. I mean, Wellington Paulista, thirty seven year old, pulling them through, um, says it just adds more spice to the story. And then they're coming up against last year's semi-finalists, uh, Barcelona. I mean, I didn't expect them to, especially after the first leg, I didn't expect them to to get through, especially away from home. But Jelson, the the, the, four, the 38-year-old keeper, made several saves to keep his side in it and then became a hero in the penalty shootout. Yeah, he had a fantastic game in general. I thought, you know, really kept his side in it with some some good saves right from the off, and and yeah, made made the all important save from Quinones in in the shootout. Um, Mike, I don't I don't know if you saw the the penalty shootout, but what what were your thoughts on some of the uh, uh, fairly interesting and eccentric run ups that we saw from from the likes of Wellington Paulista and Yago Maidana and, and players like that. Yeah, it was um, interesting to see, especially as like the lack of sort of composure they've shown throughout the uh, throughout the two legs. Uh, the Americans didn't seem too confident in front of goal. They created so many chances, uh, so many, so many way off target or just wide. So I wasn't expecting such um, such confidence going into the uh, into the penalties. Really, <laughs> yeah, no, some 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 pretty. Uh pretty inventive ways but you know I think the the big thing that I I think about this side as well is that, you know they've got through on penalties to get to the group stage but that's going to be a bit of an issue in terms of once you get to the group stage and you can't rely on that anymore so um, yeah my big worry for them is they're just not really going to um, find ways of, of of getting the all-important wins and and I, yeah I just I have a feeling that they they might be a side that that doesn't really offer too much or am I am I wrong Lewis do you want to tell me that actually that they're, they're going to surprise me again well, you see, you never know. With there's not really any pressure on them because they're, they're normally a yo-yo side. They get into Serie A and then they go straight back down. But this last season was different. So, who, who knows what to expect when the pressure's off? I mean, if they're playing against some of South America's top sides, that I mean, there's no pressure on them. <laughs> I mean, them being there already is a miracle in their eyes. So they just they're just going to try and enjoy the experience rather than let it get to them. Um, and just take it from there. It'd be interesting to see how it affects him in the league next season. But then again, I think there's only one side from last season who's not playing uh, incontinental action, which is just crazy. I mean, the Brazilian sides take up too much space. And especially when, uh, if you look at the Sudamericana last week, every, every team's in the country uh, doing continental battles, um, sorry, country battles in continental action, which surely can't be right when you've got so many Brazilian clubs taking part. Yeah, it definitely feels like there's a, a bias that we may have mentioned on the show before in terms of uh, the amount of Brazilians, I think, eight sides this year. And, um, you know, I think that for, the, for the benefit of the tournament, it's always good to have a bit more diversity there. But, uh, Ralph, you, you saw America put out Guarani in, in the previous round. Uh, what, what was your take on them? Well, similar to you guys, I wasn't particularly impressed by uh, America Mineiro. I think... They, this team is, we mentioned some of the ages there, it's, it's a very experienced team, but it didn't seem to have a much kind of 
vibrancy, fluidity, much attacking kind of interest to it. I know they scored three goals against Guarani, but that was three goals in one half in in a half that really Guarani capitulated. And then, if you think, if you take those that half out, they haven't they haven't scored a goal in the competition yet. So you do think that they're possibly going to struggle going into the group stages, especially as they haven't looked particularly convincing in either of the home legs. So I think it's going to be a bit of a, a struggle for them. One one thing that is interesting is being a team that's qualified. We, we talked about the amount of Brazilian teams. Being a team that's qualified through the qualification Phase that means in theory they could be they could be drawn against another Brazilian team in in the group stages. I wonder if that would end up favouring them. Maybe it seems based on last season in the local league that they they might have a bit more kind of know how against against other Brazilian opposition. So maybe they're a team to then take off points from I don't know a, a, for example a Palmeiras that that you wouldn't expect to drop points to a, a to a fourth ranked side because they're going into the draw as one of the teams in pot four. So so that might be the only surprise we could see if they do end up getting drawn against a Brazilian side. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good point. And and I think from if we look at Barcelona as well, you know, they're really going to rue that missed injury time penalty in the first leg from from Garces. I mean, with that, you, you would have favoured them at home to to have, have got the job done. But I think maybe it's a cumulative effect of, of all the qualifying rounds taking its toll on Barcelona because they certainly looked good enough to, to get to the uh, group stage. But maybe just having six games to get there just was, you know, just just took its took its effect and and always just gave that possibility of throwing a spanner in work. So obviously a big shame that they're going to be missing out because, you know, we all love that amazing home stadium and some they've got some cracking players on display as well. So a, a shame for the Ecuadorians. And and in general, it wasn't a good round for the Ecuadorians as Universidad Católica were put out by Bolivian side, the strongest, thanks in no small part to podcast favourite Rodrigo Amaral with a lovely late winner there. I mean, it was always going to be a bit of an uphill struggle, if you if you pardon the pun, for Catolica, given they had to travel up to the altitude of La Paz. Um, and given they they had no advantage after the first leg finishing nil-nil as well. So it was a very frantic start to the game with Enrique Treveria putting the Bolivians ahead after two minutes, but parity was cr- quickly restored when Ismail Diaz who's been fantastic in this tournament so far, equalised after about seven minutes. But in the end, it was a little bit of magic from uh, the Uruguayan to, to win the game and, and send the strongest through. Um, Mike, what were, what were your thoughts on on this game? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, Amaral had a, had a few um, few chances earlier on in the game as well, didn't he, from range. And they, I thought Catolica looked pretty decent. They looked as uh, coping with the altitude. I think they're... Um, my geography isn't perfect, but they seem to be higher, uh, have a, a little bit more of a, an advantage over some others in lower grounds and being able to cope with this. But obviously, it's still still much higher than uh, in Quito. Um, but they played well. It's just, I think, um, for Catolica, you mentioned uh, Ismael Diaz. They're, they created a lot of chances. It was just, there seemed to be too many from, from range that um, they weren't able to really get, a, get that cutting edge chance after that first one to really, really get past the strongest. And 
they'll really, really be disappointed at not getting anything from that first leg, especially with such a long time with the man advantage. Yeah, definitely. And I, I can't not take this opportunity to wax lyrical about uh, about Amaral. I mean, he's he's looking in the best shape he's been in for a while. He still doesn't move around that much, but mostly seems to have his arms up in the air, just asking for people to pass him the ball. But I think he almost just fits this side so well because he's got those shots from range of which, yeah, you mentioned he, he tried a few there. And at altitude, they're always going to be a potent weapon, you know, that, that ace up their sleeve that they can just always chuck out there and and I think that's going to be a really profitable uh, weapon that, that the strongest have there and and obviously he also probably gives them a bit more class when they're when they're playing away as well so from a player that you know we've done scouting spotlight podcast with Austin before and and we just we had no idea where he was kind of going to go whether he'd go on to Europe or whether he was going to bounce around Libertadores outsiders which it's definitely seeming like it's the latter but he was a player who so so gifted when he broke through as a 17 year old for the Uruguay under 20s back in 2015 and was looking absolutely excellent for them um, in the in the next iteration that squad in 2017 along the likes of uh, Betancourt and, and Valverde the uh, Rossi de la Cruz a really star-studded team that went on to finish third in the under 20 world cup but it's all been downhill since since then for him and and this was just such a brilliant reminder of what he can do on a football pitch it was such a brilliantly taken goal as well I thought you know the ball was chipped into him lovely chest control that uh, sort of on the turn to loop it over his marker and sort of managed to hold off one guy got a bit lucky when he was going past the next defender but then just rifled it past the keeper um, on his left foot and just absolutely amazing scenes there to, to, to win it at the end so yeah I for one was was very happy for the the Rodrigo Amaral um, cameo um, in the Libertadores and and yeah looking forward to seeing more of him in the, in the group stage um, Ralph or, or Lewis did either of you guys have any extra thoughts on this game before we move on I think the only thing I, I would have said about that game is it, or that tie is that the chance was really spurned for, for Universidad Católica in that first leg um, at home being unable to score because that the strongest didn't have a single shot on target. And of course, that's that's going to be their tactic in the group stages as well, is not expect to do much away from home, but use altitude to their advantage. So in that in this kind of knockout phase, if you miss the chance at home, like Universidad Católica did, then I think you're, you're in a really difficult, difficult position. Um, and just, yeah, uh, nice for Ismael Benegas, the Paraguayan central defender who's now at the strongest he won the, the Bolivian Clausura, I think, with Wilsterman a couple of years ago when they got into Libertadores, and now he's at the strongest. He's he's actually won a lot of titles back in Paraguay, very experienced, played for Libertad for a long time. So he's gone into Libertadores and, and Sudamericanas in the past and has that experience. So nice for him to get another crack at Libertadores group stage. Yeah, definitely. Always with the Bolivians, it's it's always going to be that home advantage, and, and there's usually some some interesting players who've who've got journeyman stories around the Americas that are always worth checking out. So, you know, one of the staples of the Libertadores, and, and great to have them in in the group stage. And 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 generally, one of the themes this week seemed to be Uruguayans making a big impact, despite none of their teams 
still being in these qualifying stages. But obviously we had Olveda for, for Olympia being one of the stars there, Amaral for the strongest. And then in the Estudiantes Everton game, it was Agustin uh, Rogel, um, who was a former under-20 teammate of Amaral back in 2017, um, who made the difference for Estudiantes as they beat Everton. Uh, 1-0 on the night, 2-0 on aggregate. Um, anyone anyone see this game? Probably one of the, the more straightforward ones. But um, Lewis, did you, did you catch much of this? Yeah, I watched. I watched bits, bits and pieces of it. I mean, I watched uh, Everton in the first, the first uh, game against the Venezuelan side. I think Mongas. Uh, they blew them away, um, which was a, it was a good game to watch, and that uh, drew my attention to watch them in this game against the Estudiantes. But yeah, I think both sides, especially in in the first leg, uh, wasted some massive chances. <laughs> it seemed like no one wanted to win it, <laughs> and I think Everton missed a real chance to try. Try and go, try and grab some goals in front, at least a goal in front. But they ended up losing, losing the first leg, and then it was already on the back foot straight away going into the uh, second leg. And the, the second leg, they were rather disappointing. I think they just created the one effort on goal. And I mean, if you want to, um, to progress to the next round, you have to work the keeper a bit more. Uh, I mean, they didn't even use the long shot shoot on sight, which tends to happen quite a lot. I mean, two shots and one on target is. Uh, nothing that you can um, expect to get from the game, unfortunately. Yeah, so a uh, bit, bit of a theme of football generally of disappointing Everton performances. But <laughs> um, yeah, Rochel really did very well on the goal for for a centre back. You know, powered forward and and lashed a right right foot finish uh, through the keeper, and that's two goals already for him in the Libertadores, which is yeah, he's proving to be a really really good signing for Estudiantes. Had as I mentioned, had. So much potential um, when when we saw him back in 2017. Looked like he'd be someone who could easily go on to the the senior national team, but sort of has, has made a few weird or bad career moves heading out to Russia with Krylia Sovetov. I think that was the first time I'd ever heard them, their name um, when he joined them and, and then went to Toulouse where he broke his collarbone on his debut, played a bit in that first season and then and then COVID happened. So he's he's kind of had the, the wind taken out of his sails a bit, but he's looking really good for an Estudiantes side who are, who are going pretty well in the league. Um, recently lost to Boca and, and just drew with Gymnasia in the Clasico the other day. But I, th- I think they're going to be a solid side under Zielinski and, and, and they're going to be tough to beat. Um, Mike, how do you see this this Estudiantes side going far in Libertadores? Yeah, well, it seems that they've got um, a decent uh, de- a decent squad together. They looked kept Everton completely at bay um, through most of most of the uh, this second leg, especially. Um, Rahel, like you say, finished like a centre forward when he managed to get a break through the defence um, to give him the goal, and uh, the goal scorer Matthias Pellegrini in the um, First leg, getting over the back on loan from his disastrous spell into Miami. So there's players there re- kick-starting their careers in somewhat. Um, so they're giving them the chance to really push on, and hopefully, um, hopefully for them, they continue to uh, continue to impress. Um, they seems they seem to they seem comfortable throughout. Um, I guess one of the bigger um, talking points maybe was when. Um, uh, goalkeeper Anduja uh, wiped out completely uh, the Giorio. He was uh, the centre forward for Everton. He came flying out of his box in like 25 minutes and barged him to the ground. And the referee just waved play on, uh, which was an odd one. Maybe 
if it was called back, possibly yellow, like because centre backs were were trying to get back. But I think it was a bit of a let off for Estudiantes, and they sort of kept their heads after that a lot better. Yeah, definitely. It wasn't uh, the the most comfortable moment for Anuka, who's, who's obviously been a, a great servant for Estudiantes, but is is getting on a little bit and does have those those odd errors in him. So. That means we've got Estudiantes, the strongest, America, Mineiro and Olympia through to the group stage of the Libertadores. And we've got that draw coming up on Friday. Obviously too early to make any predictions, seeing as we don't know what the groups are going to be just yet. But what will, what will you, be, uh, you guys be looking out for? Uh, Ralph, I'll, I'll come to you first. Well, the one thing everybody in Paraguay is looking out for, I suppose, at the corner of their eye is that, in theory, Olimpia and Cerro Porteño can be in the same group. So I think, in a way, nobody wants that because that will be <laughs> two two weeks. Those those weeks end up playing. That will be two weeks of just uh, the whole national attention turning to them kind of thing. So that's one thing people have an eye on but maybe don't particularly want and then I, I think uh, with Olympia people people are starting to believe that game against Fluminense you really saw that the full crowd there behind them but a lot of people were sort of talking about the the spirit of 2000 2013 when they reached the final in a similar position in a way that they they weren't as good as they have been the last couple of years by then but they managed to sort of dig in got a few old old heads back and, and they ended up going all the way to the final. So I think with Olympia, people are, are very excited about this be- just because of the way they managed to, to qualify. It's the hope that kills you, Ralph. It's the hope that kills you. So hopefully they'll they'll do well. I certainly will be keeping an eye out for them. Lewis, um, any, any storylines that you're looking for? Any teams that you're going to be keeping a particular eye on? Yeah, I think for the Brazil, it's good that there's three debutants with Fortaleza, Bragantino and now America making the debut in the group stage. I mean, really interested interested to see how Fortaleza do. I've been at the Castello Stadium before, so and just two years ago, that's no, right, in 2017, there was in the third tier of Brazilian football um, and Juan Pablo Vojvoda has come in and worked a miracle last season as he finished in the top four. Um, they ran out of steam as well towards the end. At one point, there was in a title challenge, but they didn't have the squad depth. So it's going to be interesting to see how they get on um, in the Libertadores this time around. And Ragantino, we know last year, got to the Sudamericana final. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they get on in the top tier of South American football. And we've already touched on America and what, what they can or will not bring. But, you know, the, the underdog story is there. And then Corinthians have got a good squad um, and a new manager, so it's they're going to be always interesting to watch. And the likes of Flamengo, uh, the champions, Atletico, Minero. I mean, there's some good sides out there who expect to to go the distance. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how them boys do. Yeah, I think it, even if there are probably more Brazilian sides than than maybe the rest of the continent would like, it's at least good to see some new faces from a Brazilian point of view. And and Mike, any any hope for the Peru? Is anyone going to make it out of the group stage? Oh, that's the uh, that's the thing with um, with uh, Alianza Lima after a terrible start, really, for them after winning um, League League One last year. Um, Sporting Cristal, uh, a little on and off at the moment, starting to find their feet and both in pot three. So it's, it was looking at these qualifiers and thinking, well, it's it's great that Barcelona aren't there, probably. Um, but then yeah, you're hoping for a for the uh, the fourth 
side to be a weaker one to try and get that third spot and go in for Sudamericana. But when you've got the likes of Estudiantes, like Olympia and <laughs> coming through, it um, makes it a little bit more difficult. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. It's uh, going to be a very keenly contested Libertadores this year. And and speaking of the Sudamericana, um, those sides that didn't make it through that last leg of the qualifying for Libertadores, Fluminense, Católica, Everton and Barcelona, will drop into the Sudamericana group stage, which um, has also been finalised after the their first and only qualifying round wrapped up this week. Um, so a rundown who, who've made the, the group stage um, from, from Bolivia, Oriente Petrolero looked like a very well-oiled machine as they beat Royal Parry 6-2 on aggregate. And Jorge Wilstermann flew a little close to the sun as they almost threw away a, a 4-0 advantage against uh, Guabira to, to go through as 4-3 winners. Uh, for the Paraguayans, General Caballero, Rained on Sol de America's parade, winning 5-1 on aggregate. And uh, Guareña uh, unpatriotically dumped out Nacional 1-0-2. From Venezuela, Metropolitanos taught Estudiantes de Merida a lesson, winning 6-0 overall. And Hermanas Colmenares didn't quite cut the mustard, losing 3-2 to Deportivo La Guaira. Um, in from the Chileans, Union La Calera cemented their place in the group stage by beating Nublense 2-1 on aggregate. And Deportivo Antofagasta had to dig deep to beat Union Española going through on penalties after a two-all draw. As for the Peruvians, uh, Melgar left Cienciano licking their wounds and uh, in ruins like Machu Picchu with a 2-1 win on aggregate there. And Ayacucho sent Sport Boys to bed without any dinner for winning 4-3 on aggregate. And uh, from Uruguay, Wanderers were, were kings of the hill beating Cerro Largo 3-1 on aggregate. And River Plate, not that one, beat Liverpool, also not that one, 3-0 on aggregate. Um, as for the Colombians, Independiente Medellin looked the devil in the eye, but prevailed against America de Cali, winning um, on penalties after a 3-3 draw on aggregate. And Junior ensured their place in the group stage, beating La Equidad 3-1 as well. So that just leaves the Ecuadorian side. So LDU Quito scored Mushuk Runa 3-1 on aggregate. And look away, animal lovers, as Delphine were were beaten 3-1 by uh, Nueve de Octubre. So um, if uh, I'm, I'm glad that you guys um, a- allowed me to, to put all those puns in there without, um, without leaving the pod. Um, but Ralph, thoughts on the uh, Paraguayan sides? Yeah, that was, that was brilliant. Um, Nueve de Octubre have a date with Destiny as well. But yeah... Um... <laughs> General Caballero and Guairenia is actually brilliant for Paraguayan football in the sense that they're both clubs from, from the countryside. So Paraguayan football, similar maybe to, to Uruguay and Argentina, has been very centralised for a long time with, with most of the clubs around the capital. Um, General Caballero ended up having to play their games in Asuncion, in the capital, because their, their home stadium isn't fit for purpose, even for the local league at the moment, but hopefully will be soon, but definitely not for Commonwealth. So that home game they played against Sol de America, they actually had to travel 250 kilometres to go and play it, whereas whereas Sol just had to go up the road from, from Via Lisa. Um, but they, they've got a really interesting side. I mean, they have Santiago Salcedo, who's the all-time top scorer in Paraguayan football, by a, by a country mile, he's got over 150 goals. I think the closest to him has about 110. 
And he's done well in in Libertadores in the past and also Sudamericana with Cerro. Uh, He was at Cerro Porteño for a long time. I think he finished top scorer in the Libertadores once with them. And then Sudamericana, I can't remember, it's 2012 or 13. I think it's 2012. They went quite far with Fossati as the manager and, and he was their key striker there. So... That's a that's a really important player to have going into this group stage. But then they have some really interesting younger players. So they have a guy called Junior Maravel who plays up front with Salcedo. He's kind of been at Cerro youth team. He ended up in, I think, Capiatao somewhere. And he's always looked quite good, but not quite the finished product. But maybe under Salcedo's wing, he can... He can do something this year. And then they have a guy called uh, Ezekiel Aranda, or <clears throat> some people call him Elias Alfonso, because he goes by both his his mother's maiden name and his father's name, so it's all a bit confusing, but most people are calling him Ezekiel Aranda. He's been at Libertad. He's come through the youth system. He's played Paraguay under 17s, I think. He's about he's early 20s by now, but he's played on the right wing. He scored the winner against Sonde America and looks a very good player so that that's quite an interesting team they've built up and then for Guairenia it was it was really nice to see the players uh the players were almost in tears as they passed against Nacional um partly because I think Nacional were the strongest side of the four Paraguayans in the Sudamericana but but it was also because they'd missed out on this stage last year losing to uh, to River Plate so they didn't get the chance to go into the uh, to go into the group stages. So the players were, were very emotional at the end. As Again, Guairenia is a club that's only existed for about four or five years because they came through regional football. And you still have one player there called Carlos Duarte, who, who was, he was playing regional football with the club and he's progressed through all the ranks all the way to Primera. And now he's still in the squad as they as they make kind of true continental competition because I think nobody really counts these games at least locally, um, as the as the Sudamericana, the real thing, because you're playing clubs that you you often play in the in the league. And then also, I've I've heard they're getting a bonus of players of about eighty million guaraníes each for getting to the next round, which is of course very important for for that kind of level of football. So it was a really nice kind of fairy tale story for both both teams that get to represent Paraguay in the next round. Yeah, that's fantastic and certainly a club that I didn't know a lot about. So that's really interesting and I'll be keeping an eye out for them. And, and I think the Sudamericana more and more these days are producing those storylines that um, yeah, are a bit more left field, a bit more interesting. And yeah, those those who like their deep cuts for South American football, it's, it's a good competition to watch. Mike, what are your thoughts on the on the Peruvian sides um, that got through there? Well, the um, Ayacucho going through um, with Sport Boy, there's a crazy second leg uh, after being 2-0 up uh, Sport Boys come back draw the tie level have a man sent off um, Ayacucho get back the advantage uh, all played in the national stadium and the, the first game Ayacucho had to play up in Huancayo um, I say uh, a bit of a trek around sort of 200 kilometers away um, just as their stadium uh, doesn't have um, floodlights so it isn't available for evening games so I had to move across um, they'll go in um, with the same hopes I think Juan Cayo did last year of just looking to get something out of it. They're, they're defensively very poor um, at the moment. They've struggled at times in, um, domestically. Um, but they've, they've got a decent attack coming forward, especially with uh, Christian Tichera, who's um, been brought in, who had a bit of time up at the Vancouver Whitecaps. Um, 
He's uh, a decent, uh, decent little player. He's well known around around South America, um, and he's provided a lot of quality up front um, in those sort of forward areas. So they, they've got the, they've got the ability to attack quite well. But I think um, the squad wise, they're go- they're going to struggle um, going into the uh, going into the tournament. And most of our most of the hopes lie with Melgar. Um, Knocking out Cenciano, who would the Cenciano have been decimated really their squad um, from last season. So many players leaving um, after an impressive season. Um, they've had to rebuild completely. They've done it very well, um, but they just haven't had the time to get together and organise themselves quite as well. Um, whereas Melgar, um, again, of they, there's so many transfers happen. Um, as contracts expire at the ends of the season and players are moving around clubs in um, Peru, but Melgar are one of those ones that just they they have what they want. They have they have the squad that they 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 need. They have the style of play that they like, uh, and they just add small pieces uh, each year to try and improve it. They they put a lot of um, uh, a lot of emphasis on their def- uh, young players coming through. I think their defence in the uh, second leg. I think their average age was about 21 uh, with very little um, first team experience between them all, um, but still managed to still managed to play well and um, get through into the San Libertador and Sudamericana group stages. Uh, they're, they're, they're a strong side, well-organized. Um, players like Paolo Reina, uh, left back, is, uh, has been a real big standout in the, in the league. Um, and we, we, we won't be surprised that after these uh, World Cup qualifiers and the, the squad of Gareca or whoever takes his place, if he decides to leave, um, will be there'll be a lot of changes for an aging squad, and we can see Paulo Reina being brought up into that into the uh, national team. Um, got a like, nice young player like T- Tandazo in the middle. Uh, is really hardworking, small, uh, hardworking player in the middle. He, um, a lot of the problems in um, Peru is they have no idea how to cope with transition, whereas players like Tandazo is so so quick to react and helps the side when they lose possession. Um, it, will help, it will provide a lot of um, a lot of support to that team going in, and they they did well last year, um, missing out just um, finishing second in their group um, behind Atlético Paranaense, uh, if I pronounced that right, from Brazil. Um, so. With this consistency they've got, um, we'll be hoping to see them competing again. And depending, excuse me, depending on the group they get, um, we're hoping to see if they could be one of those sides that can um, can break through. And I think they'll be a decent side at home in Arequipa. Difficult side to play against. Yeah, definitely one to watch there. And uh, when that group stage draw comes up, it's going to be really interesting to see how that leaves everyone. Obviously, the the winners just going through, so it's very uh, keenly contested. Uh, Lewis, any any teams that have caught your eye or teams that you're particularly looking forward to seeing in in the group stage? Yeah, like like Ralph touched on the Guarani, uh, uh, the Paraguayan side. Um, I mean, the league form going into the tournament was was not great. They've still not won yet um, in the league, so to see them uh, cause a surprise in the Sudamericana was great, especially against Nacional, the, the continental regulars. So it was good to see them go through, and 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 in terms of the upcoming group stage, I mean, uh, the team from Brazil is the Coyaba from the state of Mato Grosso. I think it, I probably messed up the pronunciation of that, but the I mean they they made the debut in the top flight last season. 
and them staying up once again was a bit like America Monero story. Um, you, you, I mean, it wasn't expected that they'd stay up. There was pretty much already relegated before the season started, according to the press. But they they held their own and they managed to earn a continental qualification spot. So it's going to be interesting to see see how they get on, um, especially in the league as well next season when you add extra demands on their already busy schedule. How how's that going to affect them going into twenty twenty? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, going to be uh, definitely one of the more interesting Brazilian sides there. From an Argentinian point of view, I'll, I'll just sort of throw in how good Racing are playing right now under Fernando, Fernando Gago. So they're going to be a team, I think, with big aspirations in this tournament. Uh, Defensive this year playing some good football as well. Lots of goals. They're usually a fun side to watch. And I think Union could, could surprise a few teams as well there so that's going to be um, really great to see um, and yeah uh, a keenly fought competition as well so before we finish we'll have a quick glance towards the big World Cup qualifiers and it'll be remiss of me not to uh, ask you Mike you know what your what your thoughts are there what the feelings like over there you know talk us through what you're expecting from these uh, two massive massive games for Peru. Yeah the players um, the inter- players playing internationally are all on their way back or already arrived back in, um, back in Lima and uh, talking about wanting to make sure that we uh, qualify uh, automatically. We don't try not to get that fifth spot and going for fourth. Um, there's, there's confidence, but uh, there's definitely a lot of trepidation as well. And Uruguay, obviously a very good side. Um, there's some, um, some fantastic players. Uh, I think we're going to see uh, a very similar game to like how we came, played uh, Colombia um it's it's a very counter-attacking team um that peru have got together now um there's majority of players are all fit uh, lapadula luckily he's been going through a lot of uh difficulties over in benevento in uh Cire Bay, um after um wanting to leave the club in the um in the january transfer window he uh, wasn't playing within the side in the last qualifiers he broke his nose and it's not completely recovered um but we're hoping he'll be um he'll be ready to play he's been managing to get games again he's back within the side in Benevento so he's had some bit of match practice which will be vital um him uh Carrillo and Cueva um as our front three is is uh exactly what we need um for these games we can't afford to miss any of them really um going into this Uruguay game um yeah, if, if Uruguay get the first goal, I think it's uh, it's it's um, terrible for Peru. We're going to need to um, hold on and try and and try and find those um, find those counter attacks with uh, that we can get. And when we play Colombia, it's just that one chance, and and they took it. Edison Flores with the goal. Um, that's that's what we'll be looking at. And it, and one eye will be on the um, Brazil game, hoping that Chile don't get anything from that at all. Um, then going into the Paraguay game, hoping that um, that Paraguay won't be uh, putting up much of a fight, <laughs> really, in that second game. Yeah, my, I mean, what I'm thinking though is if Peru do come out with that counter-attacking style, and if Uruguay think, well, actually, probably a draw here is fine as long as we don't lose. I wonder if that then um, sort of cancels each other out, and and then it's all big on on the Paraguay game is there is there a danger there of of taking the Paraguay game for granted Mike do you think that there it would be it would be a risky strategy to 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 sort of 
think, okay, well, that's the game we're going to target? Or do you think they'll actually have to come out and, and try and get the win against Uruguay? Uh, yeah, it's definitely a risky strategy. I don't think um, we can really rely on hope, uh, getting the result in Paraguay, which I think a lot, a lot of the media in Peru is focusing on, oh, well, it'll be okay if, if Chile lose, this game, if lose to Brazil, we've just got a win in Paraguay and they have nothing to play for. Uh, being creative hasn't been the uh, hasn't been a particular strength um, for Peru in uh, their build-up play um, this season uh, in this qualifying phase, and the, and when the stakes are high, it, lots more of mistakes um, creep in. Uh, the um, Ecuador game when we have fans back in the stadium um, for the first time in a long while. The, the occasion seemed to get to them immediately or really early if mistake was made by Kayans um, for uh, Peru to go one down. It was it was uh, unthinkable almost because of how well he's been playing um, and how composed he's been. But I think the, the occasion can get to um, can get to them and with so much on the line for this squad. I think so many of them will. This is their last last chance of a World Cup. Um, they'll be coming towards. It's an aging squad really with some of these especially the first 11 um and that forward line especially so there's a lot of pressure to get through um hopefully yeah uruguay don't just sit back and um force us to come out i think that's what um that's what uruguay will probably do but it's going to be difficult to it's going to be difficult to see them being that creative. You're going to need Christian Cueva and players like that to really be on their game. Um, and Canchita, um, in, he plays for sports in Cristal, I think, will probably take the space of uh, Yotun, who's been out of a club for a while and has recently come back to um, Peru with Sporting Cristal as well um, after leaving um, Cruz Azul in uh, Liga MX. Um, he's been on great form, um, Canchita, so hopefully he's a bit more of a creative central midfielder. So there's... If um, Goreca decides to go with someone like him, then maybe there's that chance to really um, put Uruguay under pressure. But yeah, there's a lot of nerves, a lot of nerves going into these two games. I can I can feel it coming through already. So um, <laughs> my thoughts will be with you um, on that day. And and Ralph, do you think that um, Paraguay could be kingmakers here in in this uh, qualifying or qualifying stretch? There, do you think they they can spoil Peru's party? Maybe I really doubt it but you never know because <laughs> Paraguay have looked Paraguay looked pretty bad during the whole Berriso era but but there was always this this sort of organization you could see he was he was trying to build on like this defensive base and then build from there and since Barroskelota has come in the last four games Paraguay's been a nightmare I mean it's been it's kind of just been chaos I, I haven't quite understood the tactics I don't think the players have it's the same group of players that didn't qualify for, for 2018. It's pretty much the same group here and they're obviously unable or have been unable to do it because Paraguay's already out. So everything points towards the, that they wouldn't be, they won't be able to do it. But uh, knowing that Paraguay, they just needed to beat an already eliminated Venezuela at home in their final game in 2018, which of course they managed to lose and not qualify for 2018. And I think it was Peru that went at their expense. So, so now with Peru at home to an eliminated Paraguay, Paraguay have never won a World Cup qualifier in Lima. So this this could end up just being the time to do it for, for some of these strange football stories we have. But, but on form, 
there really is no no real suggestion Paraguay are going to, to do anything in these two games. In terms of the squad that's been called up, it's similar base of players, but what, uh, what we've seen from Barros Gelot is he is going to try out a few new players and one particular player is called up from Paraguay is, is Robert Morales, who's the top scorer in the league at the moment and is looking very good. And we're hoping he partners him with Julio Enciso, who's also top scorer in the league. I think they're joint top scorers or there's one goal difference, who's the 18-year-old at Libertad that's been so exciting. So that will be at least a bit of hope of, of what what's there for 2026. But other than that, Paraguay haven't looked very good at all. Definitely some exciting forwards to to give you a bit of hope going forward. And and if you if I had to put a put a gun to your head now and say who who's going to qualify for the uh, for, for the World Cup, who would you say, Ralph? Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Uruguay Uruguay always get there, don't they? So I think uh, I think you've got to you've got to assume Uruguay are in there, and then uh, what are we between? Kind of Peru and Chile, really. Um, well, I think Peru will do it, knowing that that Paraguay aren't going to offer enough. So I think it's unfortunately for for Chile and Colombia still have that that very, I suppose, slim chance. I don't think they're going to do it. So we'll stick with what we've got at the moment, the, the top five as it stands. Very diplomatic, I think. And, <laughs> uh, and Lewis, what, what what about you? Do you think there's any way that Colombia can can sneak through, or uh, Chile can pull off a historic um, performance away in Brazil? It seems unlikely, but you know we've seen stranger things happen. Yeah, we have seen stranger things happen, but I, I just don't see the table changing. But it is South America, so I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen. But I mean, Colombia really shot themselves in the foot in the game against Peru when they wasted so many chances, and then they were sucker punched on the counter attack um i mean they, they haven't scored for so so many so long now i mean that, that's their main point <laughs> they have to score first before they uh, do anything to even stand a chance i mean they're playing bolivia which they would expect to be um but then you never know after after the game against peru last time i, I don't know what to expect with them i mean they had so many good opportunities and the one chance peru had they took um, and then Venezuela away is not, never a straightforward game anyway. I mean, Venezuela, it depends which side turns up. One day they're really good and next they're really bad and they're hot and cold. And they'll be, they'll be fighting to not finish um, bottom of the group, something that that adds a little bit of in, in, incentive on their behalf to try and not finish bottom. Same with um, Paraguay, which maybe they could cause an upset. But like Ralph says, I've, I've been following Paraguay um, national team for a while and they've been so frustrating to watch. <laughs> I mean, I watched the friendlies building up to the qualifiers and then when it came to the qualifiers, they were just so disappointing and frustrating. So I don't expect much from from them. So it's going to be... It's, but like you say, it's nothing's a foregone conclusion in, in South American football, that's for sure. Yeah, I think for for Colombia to to get through, they're going to need an an absolute meltdown from from Peru and and as you guys have said as well, I think Ch- Chile have, have probably left it a little bit too late. But again, there's some positive signs of of rejuvenation in that squad, so maybe maybe they'll be focusing more on the next campaign. But uh, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up what we've got uh, for today. So. Um, we'll um finish up there so um first of all um ralph where can people find you on social media and and anything to plug 
Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Paraguay Ralph, and we also do a podcast, an English language podcast on Paraguay football called Guarani Vision. You can find me. Yeah, definitely make sure you check that out. That's always a really good listen. Um, and and you, Lewis, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Lewis Smith two two. Any any interviews coming up that we should know about? At the moment, no, but I'm I'm working on a few. So that's the that's the main thing at the moment to try get something done before uh, mainly before the Brazilian league starts in a couple of weeks. But I'll have match previews on who scored when when that eventually gets underway. Excellent, that sounds good. And and Mike, where can people watch you uh, suffer on <laughs> during the qualifiers on on social media? Yeah, you can uh, find me on at Mike Rice nineteen eighty three, um, as well as um, with the English language Peruvian uh, uh, podcast and Twitter feed of at Peru Waltz. Um, so you can, yeah, uh, wish us luck and uh, see how we uh, see how we're faring. Yeah, well, I'm sure everyone will be sending you good vibes, except maybe. Uh, some of the other uh, Chileans and Uruguayans and, and maybe Colombians, but uh, you still, I'm sure you'll have most of our listenership support behind you. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at TomRobo89. Got a piece coming up about Rivers' young uh, midfielder Santiago Simon for Y Scout came up soon, so be sure to check that out. And obviously, as well, make sure you follow the World Football Index um, for all the latest. Um, so once again, just a big thanks to our guests and all our listeners. Um, and uh, yeah, look forward to the next one where we pick over the bones of uh, the World Cup qualifiers. So see you all then. <laughs>